0: Welcome to Mental Health Explored, a podcast created by TogetherWell.org. We are a nonprofit dedicated to eliminating systemic barriers to mental health education, resources, and tools. We bring you the voice of vetted and credentialed mental health professionals. I am Michelle Thompson.
1: And I'm Beth Rice. We're TogetherWell volunteers and the co-hosts of Mental Health Explored. We're not mental health professionals, but we do have access to lots of great people who are. We've got questions just like you. Join us as we explore a wide range of mental health topics with experts in the field. The intense fear and social upheaval that gripped much of the world due to the 2020 COVID pandemic has mostly subsided three years on. In retrospect, it's hard to believe what we endured. Strict social distancing mandates kept friends and family apart for well over two years in some cases. Where schools shut down in-person learning, students experienced a new reality, one that deprived them of healthy social development. To what degree did this impact the well-being of our youth? How did children cope when the adults around them were themselves anxious and stressed out about world events? Today our guest is a youth crisis counselor who witnessed firsthand the numerous issues that young people faced
0: I'm really excited to interview our guest for today's podcast. Carissa Anthony is the founder of Serenity Youth Life Coaching, LLC, where she works with teens and young adults on anxiety, stress management, positive thinking, confidence building, and overall goal setting. She brings over 10 years of experience in youth crisis counseling, child development, special needs care, and child and family welfare. Karitha holds a BA and MS in psychology and is certified in applied behavior analysis and child advocacy. She's a member of the Society of Clinical Child and Adolescent Psychology, Division 53. And of course, she's also a member of Together Well. So welcome,
2: Karitha. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, we're so excited to have you here. This is a really important conversation. And there's a lot that has happened over the last few years. But the thing that we want to talk to today is the mental wellness of our teens. And as they've gone through this experience that none of us have gone through before with dealing with a global pandemic. And if you're a teen that is moving through this journey and Facing challenges, we want to make sure that you understand how to take best care of yourself. So, why don't we step back just a moment here? And Karitha, I'd love to understand what drew your focus towards teens who face mental health struggles.
2: There was so much that basically made me more drawn to the young people as a population. The young people are usually the most vulnerable, specifically teens. But overall, they are a vulnerable population. Um, They tend to be overlooked a lot. Um, So I've always been drawn to helping out young people and being more drawn to their mental well-being. Of course, with a crisis like this, this made me zero in on that population even more.
0: A study of previous pandemics such as H1N1 and avian flu found that children who were forced into isolation and quarantine were five times more likely to need mental health services. This is according to a November 2020 article in the Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. These children also experienced higher levels of post-traumatic stress. Mental health professionals like Caritha saw in real time how the COVID-19 pandemic also negatively impacted youth. Karitha attests to the mental, physical,
1: and emotional distress. Karetha, I'm just wondering what kinds of negative psychological or behavioral impacts have you encountered as far as, you know, the impact to young people? Higher rates of depression, higher
2: rates of anger, anger management, just different things like that. Because a lot of young people, they were feeling so overwhelmed with all that's going on. There was even an uptick of anxiety. And of course, we as adults have experienced that, right? Not knowing what's going to happen next and losing so many people around us. Between March and o- October of 2020, 24% of kids who were aged 5 to 11 years old and 31% of kids 12 to 17 years old were seen for mental health-related emergency visits. Wow. Yeah. Um. And if that tells you anything, it definitely tells you there is a mental health crisis with that population. But I I mean, and we're talking about teens, right? But even younger than the right. teenage years. So I am currently also a crisis counselor and I speak to many young people through text and chat, the crisis hotline, um, usually in the evening and overnight. Many of them have reported so many different ailments that they've had, even difference in physical ailments. So sometimes it's something like having more headaches, more stomach aches, or just overall feeling emotionally and mentally exhausted as well. A lot of them have also reported having uh, a lot more irritability than normal. Just overall being more stressed out, having low mood. The overall stressors from the lack of interacting and sharing their experiences with their peers and their family members during such a tough time. The toughest part of the pandemic for me was not being around other kids and and not being able to see my friends except on FaceTime. Also, I didn't really I didn't like being stuck at home and seeing the same environment over and over again. We all know it is such a critical time for young people. You're trying to figure out your identity, right? You're trying to figure out your place in the world. And with something as tough as COVID-19 and having that lack of interaction or having that lack of uh, connectivity with people on a social level, that just makes it so much more difficult to be able to establish your identity.
0: I think it's really easy to think about COVID as just a, a sickness, a virus that affects your body. But it's really important, I think, to your point, Karitha, to understand how it's affecting the whole body, which includes the emotional and physiological components of the body. Social isolation became the new norm when many schools, daycares, and businesses closed. When it comes to loneliness and mental health, there are well-established links between the two. Over a third of adolescents did report high levels of loneliness and nearly half of 18 to 24-year-olds reported feeling lonely during COVID lockdowns, as reported in the Journal of American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry.
1: So I want to just pick up on the part about social isolation. You know, this aspect of not being able to be amongst your peers and how that affects your psyche. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how a young person might recognize maybe that's what they need is just social outreach?
2: Yes. With young people, even having social media, it can be really tough for realizing that you're not able to see your friends or peers. But I wanted to make note that social media was also used as a way of coping. Uh, Research did show that for some young people who were not able to see their peers face-to-face or who were not able to attend school. At the same time, the caveat was that there are 24-hour news cycles, right, through social media. It can be really, really tough thinking about the fact that We are hearing so much of an increase in the numbers of people infected by COVID-19 or just hearing about different safety measures or something else shutting down, whether that be a school or whether that be an event. It can really put someone on edge. And that is something that made it tough to be on social media at the same time, even though it was used as a way of coping and interacting with peers. Um, So If they find or if the young person finds that they are on social media and they're starting to feel more anxious than they thought they would be and not using it as an escape or a way of coping, that's something to make note of. If they realize that it's making them feel worse, sometimes it makes sense to take a bit of a break from social media. I'm not saying get off of it completely. And I did do a workshop topic on this a few months ago
1: for Wellness Wednesdays. Wellness Wednesdays are free weekly emotional well-being workshops hosted by TogetherWell. Topics include coping mechanisms, managing stress, improving sleep, achieving work-life balance, and more. Wellness Wednesdays topics vary from week to week and include helpful information and resources, as well as an activity to continue to practice what you learned. You can find out more by visiting togetherwell.org. Sometimes it, it makes sense to take a break if you feel
2: like, Social media is a lot. And that's something that I do uh, talk about with teens. And in this case, it makes sense to take that break as far as not being on there too much. If the 24 hour news cycle is making you way more anxious or on edge, even angry, because here you are as a young person, you can't see your friends can't see all of your family members. A lot of them had to be completely isolated. I mean, we as adults had a hard time with that. So right. you can imagine being a young person having to face that for the young people, just taking note of how it's making you feel at the moment to miss those types of events or seeing that school's going to shut down longer than you thought it would. So anything like that that's making you feel any type of irritability or anxiety or make you even feel more depressed
1: and alone. Social media is a double-edged sword. Being on social media can make you feel like you have a place to be and things to do. You can check what's trending, check in with friends, or just plain check out and binge on endless entertainment. On the other hand, that cell phone in your pocket also gives you easy access to social comparison and feelings of needing constant validation. Several pre-COVID studies cited by the Mayo Clinic looked at heavy social media use by adolescents 12 to 16-year-olds and found links to depression and anxiety. In other words, even before COVID-induced social isolation, young people were already experiencing mental health issues. However, the notes that there are also positive ways to use social media and technology. Um, I know in the beginning it was tough to be able to find a way
2: for these young people to reach out. And they don't know who to turn to, right? Because everything was right. either shut down, or the system got so overwhelmed to the point where there wasn't room to help everyone. One good thing I will say that has come out of this crisis is the ability to gather virtually, right? Because we had to do it in a more safe manner. And a lot of young people... um, They prefer technology, right? A lot of young people like to be on their devices, on their phones, on their tablets. And some young people even use this as a time to raise mental health awareness with different hashtags on Twitter or Instagram. So it really allowed for young people to be able to find different ways of reaching out.
1: Some positive things
2: that happened because of the pandemic were I learned things that I didn't know I could do, like the splits. I also got more time with my mom. Me and my mom would make videos on one of her apps, and we'd cut them all together, and they'd make like a really cool, funny video. There are different online support groups for people who are facing depression. Now there are so many different virtual support groups that they can go to. There's the crisis hotline chat that I mentioned before, or the 988 that they can, you know, just call someone. I know sometimes it can be a little nerve wracking to be on the phone with someone on the other end, and we tell them what's going on with you.
0: In the U.S., by calling or texting 988, you can connect to a nationwide network of over 200 crisis centers. The 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is a 24 by 7 confidential resource to help people who are in mental health related to
1: stress. So is the majority of your work talking with them or is it answering chats or how does that kind of work? So I do some chats. I do some video
2: as well. A lot of people are, you know, saying that they are facing anxiety. Some was brought on before the pandemic, of course, but there, like I said, there's been such an increase in the rates of anxiety or the rates of depression and stress and not enough outlets. Sometimes I do video. Okay. um, And video is for anyone who is open to it. I don't pressure them, of course. With young people, we always wanna make sure we approach in a way that we're not telling them so much what to do, right? They get enough of that from different authority figures. So you don't wanna be another authority figure saying, hey, this is the way that you have to
1: get help. We wanna let them know that we're here for them no matter what. The code of restrictions disintegrated our traditional collective social fabric. It's as if we all went into a twilight zone, a sort of alternate universe. If you were an introvert, lockdowns were strangely freeing. You had an official excuse to avert social events. For extroverts, however, being told to stay away from other humans felt like taking away your main source of self-care. Then, just as we got used to masks and transacting purchases behind plexiglass, we had to pivot our lives yet again. But reintegrating into real-life in-person activities has been problematic for some more than others. Well, this has
0: been a three-year journey, right? So even if they were young, or maybe they were 17 you know, when the pandemic started, it's very possible that they still could be going through a lot of challenges. So knowing that they missed out, like, for example, some well, all of us, you know, we missed out on engagement. And for young people, they eventually missed out on development of relationships. What shows up in your world when when you are transitioning back into a face-to-face environment, um, developing future relationships? How do you get back into the real world?
2: Um, it's a process for everyone, right? It's a process even for us as adults. So it'll definitely be a process for teens as well but um, I would always tell the teens that I do talk to to reach out to a trusted authority figure and to be open and honest about your fears and anxieties
0: growing up there were definitely some challenging times but as a child any negative emotions was not tolerated anger especially toward my parents was not allowed and sadness was often a silver line. I dealt with those emotions by isolating and burying them. It led to significant anxiety as an adult because I not only didn't know how to process emotions like anger and sadness, but I couldn't even recognize or name the emotion when I felt it. There was nobody who had the ability to support my emotional well-being growing up.
2: And it has been a very long journey. It's been about three years and it will still take readjustment. It will take facing fears of social interaction, facing the issue of missing out on so many milestones. So like I always tell the young people I work with, just try your best to reach out to someone, be open and honest, with whether that be a parent, whether that be a coach, whether it be Um, someone in the school staff. I do believe that the best approach is even for the authority figures to collaborate with schools in the community to assist these young people. It's the saying that it takes a village to raise a child. And that's how I approach my practice as far as trying to help young people, especially in this time and with what happened, with the pandemic, just trying to get to get them back into society and readapt for those who have already been in society. But we also have to think about young people who have not gotten a chance to adapt yet. So reach out to a trusted adult, have an open and honest conversation, even reaching out to peers. Always try to get a relationship with a peer that they trust, right? A virtual connection with them or someone face-to-face when they are allowed to safely go back into school or the community. Just trying to find ways to get around people that they trust and raise awareness. Uh, Many young people may feel like they are alone. I have taught so many of them and they feel like they're the only ones going through this, going through a tough time. And they feel like they're the only ones who are in shit. So what I try to always do is just reassure them that they're not alone. It's more common than they think. And just being able to know that does help with them to be able to readjust, finding the strength to reach out. It's a process for everyone. We can't say, okay, by this date, you have to go and reach out to such and such and just, you know, get on with it. It's a process and it's ongoing.
0: I'm only speaking from my perspective, but I find that it's really easy to seek medical support from a doctor, for example, if you're feeling bad. Like if you have a symptom, you have a cold, cough, you know, ears hurt or whatever, right? It's really obvious that you need help. But when you're feeling emotional, what are some of those feelings that might show up that might be indicators that it's time to ask for help or it's time to seek additional
2: support? It looks differently for every individual, but what I usually try to discuss is if they notice any type of loss of interest in things that they once enjoyed, you know, usually that's a sign of depression. If there's a specific hobby or things that they were into and they're no longer interested or they no longer feel as passionate about it anymore, just having that emotional exhaustion that I did talk about earlier. But a lot of things that I would ask them to look out for too would be any signs of withdrawal from pair relationships or friends or family relationships. That's definitely a big one. Then, like I said before, also irritability, anger. Some young people find that they have trouble sleeping. They may sleep too much or too little. And a lot of that can stem from anxiety. Some teens find that they're a little more moody. And I did also want to mention some of them found that they even increased their, uh, their tendency for bad habits. So that might look like substance abuse or just any kind of bad habit that they may not have engaged in before. So a lot of people have used different ways of coping and a lot of coping have not been healthy, to be honest with you. So that's something to look out for.
1: It seems to me like, you know, teenagers sleeping in too much or feeling moody, irritable. I was like, that was a teenager, moody and sleeping <laughs> a lot. And like, how do we delineate between like, that's normal teenage behavior versus a, a symptom of maybe something more serious?
2: What I would say is if you are a parent or a guardian of that teen, you usually, you know, could kind of fill out how your teen usually act, right? You would know, okay, they tend to sleep a lot or they tend to be irritable if you see any type of increase, and it doesn't hurt to ask into it, that's one thing I do tell parents and guardians, just being open with the teen, but don't pressure them to talk, of course. Just always show your love and empathy for them. Just let them know that you are there for them. But there will be at least an increase in those type of behaviors. And sometimes, like you said, it may just be your habit to sleep in a little more, Mm-hmm. Um, But it doesn't hurt to ask the young person in your life, hey, is there anything going on? Yeah. Um, Is there anything you want to talk about? And it doesn't hurt as a parent, guardian, or staff member to have your eye out for that. That's great. So you're saying just a change of behavior is what to keep an eye for. <laughs> yes. And I would also say just make sure you're not dismissive about their concerns. Um, Some mm-hmm. teens go to their parents with concerns that they have. And, you know, the parent may be like, oh, well, we're all going through a tough time. You know, there's a pandemic. It's hard on everyone. You don't really want to use language like that. You do want to take their concerns seriously.
1: Living with COVID in 2023 contrasts starkly to living through the early days of the pandemic. Today, for example, getting infected with coronavirus doesn't carry the same level of trepidation as it once did. But back in 2020, people were dying in alarming numbers. Losing a loved one is never easy, and when you're lacking the coping skills to manage your grief, like many children, it can be even more difficult to understand and manage. Especially when you haven't lost just one family member or friend, but multiple loved ones. What do you do? How do you cope with losing a loved one?
0: The thing that was so vivid and you could sense so much energy around it was the fact that people were losing not just one loved one. They were losing multiple loved ones and friends, right? So it's very possible that a teen could have lost one or both of their grandparents or a parent um, or a sibling, you know, so there's some significant impact with that experience and not only just experiencing themselves, but maybe watching a friend go through it. And I have to imagine that even that kind of experience can be something that you absolutely don't know what to do with as a teen, right? Yes. Yes,
2: Michelle, and you're absolutely right. There were people who lost multiple family members, multiple friends, or just a neighbor, or you know, just anyone in their community that was important to them. It's all about how do we, um, I, I don't want to say completely move on, because how do you completely move on from this? But it's about how do we manage? How do we cope? That's something I usually talk to, young people about. Most nights, especially when I'm working on a crisis line, yeah. it's it's all about trying to cope along the way. We will never forget how we felt during that time period, even three years later. That's something you take with you. So it's all about finding different ways to cope going forward as a young person, being open and honest about their feelings with the peers or their parents or guardian.
0: I think what I hear you saying is that it doesn't matter how far along we are, you can always ask for help,
2: right? Right, Michelle. You're definitely right about that. It's never too late to ask for help. Don't think if you are a young person listening to this podcast, don't think, okay, it's three years later, too late. You know, it's pretty much over. It's not on the news. We're not hearing about it as much anymore because it still has that traumatic effect as a young person or even as adults that you may carry with you and sometimes not even realize how badly it affected you. So just trying to be honest and open with yourself as a young person and and see if you do carry some type of traumatic feelings towards it or any type of depression, like I mentioned those symptoms before, the irritability, the trouble sleeping, just anything that changed in your world since the COVID pandemic. My parents were the most influential in shaping my identity growing up, providing me with a
0: relationship with unconditional support, love, encouragement, opportunities, despite being immigrants facing their own challenges while navigating a new country. My siblings also played a large role in my identity growing up as I was the youngest sibling and was able to go through life with their guidance, advice and support when needed. Nonetheless, despite all of these supports, All of my coping mechanisms weren't necessarily healthy growing up.
1: Identity and self-esteem are shaped by the social influences around us. Having supportive friends and growing up with a loving family boosts the odds of forming a positive self-identity. But even the most loving families were stressed by COVID lockdowns. Many parents became 24 by 7 caregivers as well as in-home teachers to their kids. Some parents did all this while also trying to work remotely from home. A 2020 study in Frontiers in Psychology looked at parent stress and children's psychological problems during the earliest COVID outbreaks in tightly locked down Italy. Parents who were preoccupied by pandemic-related stressors caused, in turn, distress to their children. Stress can show up in rude behavior, for example. Parents might be less patient in explaining things or in disciplining their children. The children in these circumstances had more emotional and behavioral problems, as well as difficulties in concentrating. As adults, we we had a tough time
2: adjusting right. to our new normal or to our new mm-hmm. world. True. But how many young people lean on their parents? They lean on the adults in their community. And we were just, I'm not saying us individually, but as a group, we were all just as frantic. We were all just as anxious and afraid. Absolutely. Um, and that has an effect in turn. For the young people. So they, like I said, they look to us, they lean on us to know what's going on. There were so many young people who were super young at the time.
1: It's important to remember that as parents, caregivers, and others with authority or influence over children, we need to be mindful of taking care of our own well-being. A vulnerable child doesn't deserve to bear the brunt of harmful words or actions just because the adult in their life is having a bad day or week. As Karitha mentioned, it takes a village to raise a child. No one is expected to have all the answers, but if you're looking for a trustworthy source of information about mental health, togetherwell.org is a good place to start. We have carefully curated information and self-guided tools on a variety of issues such as self-esteem, parenting, healthy social media use, self-care, and much, much more. Free and low-cost TogetherWell educational group workshops are also available. Workshops are drop-in or by request and are led by vetted health professionals such as Greta.
0: So you started talking about the work you had done uh, previously with Together Well with regards to Wellness Wednesdays, but can you share also information on the potential workshops that you either have or are planning to have with Together Well?
2: Yes. So the mental health workshop that I currently have on there is regarding the stigma of mental health for young people. So in that workshop, I will go over different mental health stigma that exists. Um, As you all know, a lot of times young people are starting to be more outspoken in a way that they haven't been before about mental health. I know even when I was younger, it was a big stigma around it. And gratefully, it's nothing like that anymore. But there's still, of course, work to be done. So in this workshop, I do go over the stigmas that exist. How do we fight stigma? What to do when you're being stigmatized as a young person that's facing a mental health uh, issue or crisis? And speaking of crisis, the next workshop I would be dealing with crisis intervention for young people. Reach out to me via email at Caritha at SerenityYouthCoaching.com. Um, you can also reach out to me via TogetherWell. I'm there, Caritha Anthony you can put in a request for a workshop on there.
0: Great. That's that's fantastic that you're so flexible and so knowledgeable. My goodness. Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, I I love that you're that you're offering such deep knowledge about part of our population that is so incredibly important. So thank you so much for sharing all this insight and this this compassion and empathy around this part of our our community. I think it's so important that we raise children to be adults that know how to move through a crisis and remain healthy. Uh, so this is really insightful.
1: Thank you, Karitha. This has been so helpful. I hope somebody else finds it helpful as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate yeah, you. appreciate you. your expertise and thank, time. Thank okay. you all for having me.
0: The mental well-being of young people before, during, and after COVID restrictions is a multifaceted issue with long-term impacts. It's important to advocate for accessible and affordable mental health resources, to destigmatize mental health challenges, and to create spaces where youth can safely share their experiences and receive the support they need. And if you're an adult with an influential role in the life of a young person, be sure to take care of your own well-being. You hold the power to shape a young person's developing sense of self in both positive and negative ways. As a global community, we're still coping from COVID. And although we can't change the past, we can choose to learn from it if we want to forge a mindful path toward healing. We hope this episode helps begin important conversations about your mental health and well-being and inspires action to support our youth. Thanks for checking out Togetherwell's podcast, Mental Health Explored. If you liked what you heard and found the content helpful, be sure to share it. And please like, subscribe, and leave us a review. You can find us on all major social media platforms. Please remember that if you're looking for a mental health workshop for your community, you can visit togetherwell.org to connect with a mental health professional. A big thank you to everyone on our amazing volunteer team at Togetherwell for making this episode possible. Our executive producer is Dr. Michelle Haley. Senior producer and audio engineer Brian Bruces, contributing editor John Hanahan, voiceover specialists Samaya Devaraju and Kaya, design creations by Ruth Beltree and Malia Kariyava, administrative support Shweta Patkar and Mariah Moody. This is Michelle Thompson, and on behalf of my co host Beth Rice, we're so happy you're here. Thanks for listening.